0: Hey, welcome back to the We Maple Video Show. Today, we're here with Nick Kuzik, like music. Uh, On We Maple Video Show, we like to talk about innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. Excited to have uh, Nick here today. Nick is uh, the owner of Meadowbank Strategic Partners, uh, dealing in uh, investor relations. Um, Nick is a a self-employed business and financial consultant Uh, in the field uh, that involves investor relations, capital markets, corporate finance, due diligence and acquisition strategies. Uh, Nick is also a board member of uh, Target Capital. Thanks for coming on the show today, Nick.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the invitation. Grateful for that and looking forward to our chat.
0: Yeah, me too. It's so great to be out in the community and and meet people at events again. You know, we connected there over. That's
1: right. How we met uh, just last month. So it's good to you know make good on that uh, conversation we had in person and, and arrange this and come in and sit down and, and record this hopefully it goes well and uh, yeah I look forward to the next you know 45 or so minutes
0: yeah over your career have you noticed a, a change in culture where you know going out to events and doing networking versus how that works on social media now what's been your experience over the past decade or so
1: um, yeah I think it's kind of depends on the individual. I'm an extrovert, so I, I, I'm glad that the pandemic is over. It's nice to be able to go out again and, and you know, look in people's eyes and shake their hands and, and have conversations. And, and the spontaneous element that was missing uh, in a Zoom-only type environment for those two or three years, you know, that's back again. So, you know, you can have unexpectedly good things happen. You can meet people you didn't you know, uh, pre arranged to meet, uh, you know, like you, for example. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's fun again, uh, you know, it was good to be busy during the pandemic. And, and, you know, I think zoom fatigue definitely was real. So, you know, it's refreshing to get back out there and network. And as far as long term trends go before that, well, I think it was always pretty steady, you know, you, you get in what you you get out what you put in. And, and if you're going event to events, and you have you know, a strategy for, uh, you know, how you uh, intend to, you know, spread the word about your services or your business and, you know, do that, you know, locally or in, in some further off places. Uh, you know, I think you just pick your spots, hopefully picking good spots. You know, there's good people in attendance and that turns into some, some business. And if not, you can always make partnerships. You know, there's always people with complementary skill sets and service offerings that, uh, you know, if you team up, maybe one in one can equal three, or you can share resources or, um, you know, just advise one another in certain areas. You know, I, I always think that the pie is pretty big. And so I don't really feel too much competitive pressure. Or, you know, if I'm even talking to peers, you know, who also do what I do, I'm, I'm usually pretty open about all that. And I'm happy to see them at events and, and networking, things like that. So, last four years with Meadowbank. It's been a little different than the previous you know 15 or so years you know uh, while employed you know uh, larger companies you know networking means different things in those two different environments but in general yeah i'm happy to be back at it again it it's nice to uh see people and you know old faces and meet some new ones
0: Mm. when yeah we were talking about the business development and uh cold outreach a little bit and and coming up with a list and then um, you know, pursuing or, or at least, you know, introducing yourself or ourselves in our different capacities for business development of what we're doing, what's been your experience as far as your process and, and how you use software tools um, uh, to uh, acquire new clients, new customers, meet new partners? What, what are you doing on the back end to support your business? Sure. Um, you know, I
1: might end up unintentionally giving some shout outs to some service providers that uh, I use. But, you know, every morning, you know, my, my employee and I, we, we check the newswire to look at business news announcements. And, you know, we'll add to the list in, in cross-reference to see who we've, we've reached out to before. And if there's any new names on there, we'll send them a note, congratulate them on their news, you know, and tell them a bit about Meadow Bank. And then, uh, you know, to, on top of that, we have, you know, a, a large database of all the uh, publicly listed venture companies in, in Canada that we're working our way through. We're about three quarters of our way through that with contacting them all and making sure they've, you know, heard about Meadowbank and have, you know, just a brief two pager about the business. And, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, acknowledgments of receipt uh, on that front. And that's, you know, something we do. On a, um, it's, a, it's a manual process I like that you know custom approach we don't blast out thousands of messages at once uh, not not at this stage um, you know like I said I think the pie is big so you only need you know a good handful of clients you know potentially you know even up to the double digits to, to build a nice business and you know that's really kind of what I'm what I'm looking to do so uh, you know, on the outreach front, um, you know we use a, a tool called Seamless.ai to generate the uh, contact information for you know key decision makers, which is typically CEOs and CFOs, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll you know give them a call and send them an email and hopefully uh, plant that seed. And that's just you know part of the regular uh, exercise of, of, like I said, yeah, planting seeds and. and uh, letting the market know that Meadowbank's out there, and again, nothing's better than a referral or you know word of mouth and that kind of uh, you know new business uh, attraction. But uh, I think you kind of have to do both. You know, you, you have to be creating new connections while also uh, nurturing existing relationships, and, and uh, you never know. Some days, you know, something sticks or something comes your way from an unexpected, uh, place. And, um, you know, it's just good to have that, uh, habit in place that, that good routine, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. What's, uh, what's your kind of, uh, approach as far as like how many touch points and like, or at least my experience with business development is we, we like to not be too aggressive with people or too, like, 16 emails, you know, um, and and I've been had that happen to me on, on the receiving end. And it's like these people over the course of a year just won't let up. And for some reason, I won't say like, hey, leave me alone. I'll just keep like hitting it in the junk. Yeah. Um, but there is a line where like sometimes you do need to get people's attention, especially a CEO, a leader that's busy. And if you have a good product or a good service, how do you kind of think about that boundary of you have to pursue the multiple touch points to get them to even pay attention, but, but not to fall into that place of uh, becoming a a nuisance or, um, be perceived as just like overboard.
1: I mean, if I had unlimited time and resources, I would apply what I believe is the right number of, of, uh, attempts, you know, for each lead. Uh, but I, I just don't. So, uh, you know, we, like I said, we'll, we'll go with, uh, you know, following the daily news and reach out on that basis. And then also with the, uh, you know, the, the list approach, you know, working our way through all like creating, uh, populating the full database with contact info. So everyone's getting at least it's, it's probably one to two uh, you know, touches throughout a year. But I, I think it probably should be seven or eight uh, in a year. Uh, so there's there's work to do there but uh i'm fine with you know what we're doing now um you know i I guess i haven't really looked into it there's probably grants or things available or i could have you know summer student or this or that you know to kind of help increase that but um you know that that's just kind of a a wish list item right now and and i think there's some uh some best practices, some knowledge out there that backs up that seven or eight number. But at the same time, we all know what we don't like. We don't like you know, being badgered multiple times a week or multiple times a month from the same service provider and then you just end up unsubscribing and that creates a bad taste in your mouth. So I definitely know what feels like too much, um, but still I, I think I haven't yet even come close to you know, the, the number uh, per period that I think, is optimal so um could it be could we be doing more yet but i think every entrepreneur every business owner will tell you they could be doing more on the you know bd outreach uh you know cold or warm either you know uh it's just limited time energy and resources uh, is you know the main uh, challenge so
0: yeah 100 percent. especially if you're balancing the like the volume and the frequency of the outreach with what you kind of or what i heard in the authenticity of the custom written not a blanket email there you know you give each account a little bit of attention so that each email is specifically designed for that specific person it's not just a send 400 emails all at one time and i know like one thing we experimented with last year was uh, linkedin dms and so we'd add the ceos on linkedin and but as opposed to using any third-party software individually recorded a 60 second welcome video uh, to each individual person, looked at what they did, you know, acknowledged them or complimented or whatever the uh, kind of mm-hmm. hook or, or way to build some rapport. Um, and then we sent out, I was doing 100 a day yeah. of, these, yeah. of these DMs. And out of that, which took you know, some of these deals that are really good relationships, can take, this one in particular took six months, this film project. But it was just a cold dm and then slowly over time we built rapport and then now we're actually doing like a pretty significant project together and so what i'm curious on scale and using the ai and and now with voice technology and the um deep fakes essentially but how to deep fake my my own self Mm -hmm. to be able to do what i was doing but 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 scale that process because that's say three hours almost four hours and then when you've got almost five, or in my case, about five thousand or so LinkedIn connections, I'm like, after a few weekends of, you know, come in on a Sunday and do that, it's like, and you've barely scratched the surface. Right. So I don't know what the tool is, but I'm really curious on how these new tools can support business development, but also support it in a way that's still high integrity, authentic, and and real. And, but i don't know if you can have or what are your thoughts like can you have the best of both there or
1: well i think that just proves that even for you i mean five thousand contacts you know there's some doubles in there but that's that's a lot of leads that's a big pie and do you need to land every one of them no absolutely not um would it be nice of course but to ha- have a nice business you know have a good uh, you know, create jobs, be an employer. You know, be able to grow, do lots of interesting work. You know that, you know, kind of happiness. You know, yeah. Out of five thousand, you probably want fifty, right? I mean, that that's so. You know, I like that, and same for me. I mean, there's similar numbers. It's, you know, say five thousand public companies in Canada. Many of them are shells or, you know, uh, kind of financial listings but you know, many of them are legitimate going concern businesses with the management teams behind them and they need to have their stories communicated you know, through a financial lens uh, to shareholders and, and you know, current and or potential shareholders and stakeholders. And so similarly, like, am I trying to contact that many all the time? No, um, you know, but what I like, do I have a target number of clients in mind yeah, that number is twenty. Uh, I have five right now, so there, there is a, you know, there's a gap there that I would like to close. And it doesn't have to be closed this month or this half year or this year even. But with, I, I kind of know where I want to go, and I know what that would mean cash flow wise and employment wise, and you know what that would mean from a, uh, you know, managing that scale of, of business. Um, you know, have I had that many before? No. Have I had half that many before? Yeah, I've had 10 before. And that was, you know, during the heyday of the last kind of bull cycle in, in the, the junior markets. Um, we're still waiting for that kind of environment to come back. So a lot of what I do is um, dependent on the quality of the capital markets and then how much capital is flowing. With higher interest rates now that's been you know constrained, but I think now that things are, are, are calming down on that front, um, you know, I, I think people are becoming more interested to receive proposals, more open minded to the outreach emails. You know, we're getting uh, better responses to kind of cold phone calls, um, so I think. I mean, it's the middle of the summer now, so there's really too much going on. But I feel like the fall and winter will be, you know, positive economic environments for, uh, you know, what what Meadowbank does in investor relations and, and growth on that front.
0: Yeah, yeah there's an interesting um, synergy between Business on Camera and Meadowbank because our work in the sort of external marketing promotion, and you mentioned having that financial lens, and that, that you know, there's a desire for some private companies who want to act like a public company in a sense that the optics of the way in which they're communicating is a a high degree of uh, attention to detail and professionalism and all of the things that go into that so um what are some of those things and what can a um what can a private company do to uh act public
1: i mean that's that's a great question and i I think that there is a really great opportunity for to apply best practices from you know doing ir for public companies to private you know there are a lot a lot of large private companies that aren't just owned by one person or family they have you know dozens or hundreds of shareholders and a lot of those shareholders have the potential to invest more in those private businesses and so you really want to keep them in the loop on you know where the, the what's the roadmap where's the business going how is it performing uh you know re- and, and relative to its peers you know is the business in growth mode or is it in sustaining mode and, and either of those can be just fine but if your shareholders are aware of the story they know what's up with it and they're, they're comfortable with their investment or they understand that it might be a one year three year five year ten year horizon to seeing a return but if there's good communication along the way from management and if investors you know have a a good view as to like who are the officers who are the directors you know who are the superstars in the organization you know good understanding of its pipeline of projects its mission vision values all of those things then they'll maintain a higher level of engagement and if the business needs more capital in the future they'll probably have a higher propensity for doubling down on their previous investment um, or telling their friends you know if they don't have capital available at the time then they might vouch for their the, the, the investment in the business and, and help spread the word about that you know follow-on financing And so that's why I think, you know, as a communications exercise, there's some very efficient tools out there these days, mailing list platforms, you know, MailChimp and Constant Contacts and um, HubSpots of the world. So that makes it a lot easier to maintain regular communication and higher engagement with, you know, a private group of shareholders, and you can do that in a, uh, you know, encrypted or private you know closed kind of way to maintain privacy and also private companies there's no reason why they can't have you know a good social media presence you know linkedin twitter reddit you know wherever they want and they're not bound by the capital markets rules you know they can go into forums they can go into you know chats and, and and you know have that type of uh that you know, kind of that more free level of disclosure and conversation with interested customers or you know stakeholders uh, that a lot of public companies are, are restricted by, and uh, you know because they don't want to be guilty of selective disclosure. So private companies can enjoy more flexibility, but if they apply that public company uh, discipline or or professionalism, that level of set of best practices, then. There's a real good opportunity to uh, set yourself up for success for follow-on needs of capital and or you know, divestitures or acquisitions or you know, if there's an exit that uh, you know, management has in mind. You never know who's in your shareholder group or who is in their network. And so if they're in the know, if they're knowledgeable and comfortable about their investment, uh, the very least they'll be doing is telling their friends about it. And um, to the extent that you can control that and make that be a positive conversation rather than a negative one or, you know, shrugging of the shoulders or a black box, then, you know, I, I think that's uh, something a lot of private companies should definitely consider. And, um, you know, obviously, Meadow Bank would be happy to help, you know, anyone with that.
0: Mm. Outside of your, um work experience you you have uh, a history with the ivy business school and um, the uh, leader project you were a former site captain um, overseas can you uh, tell us about what that project is and how that's translated into either a result on the court of like you know you you saw this person and now they're doing this in the world or the impact that it had on you as a business owner Um, so this is Kind of near
1: and dear in my heart for two reasons. My, I'm a 100% Ukrainian heritage. I'm a third generation Canadian, but on my uh, my mother's side, my my grandparents came over uh, in 1952, uh, or yeah, 52, because my mom was born here in 53. And uh, my father's side, they came over in the 1890s in the the first wave when you know the the prairies uh, needed people to clear the land, and so. Uh, but, you know, I, I grew up um, going to Saturday school, I can still speak, and, you know, I always had that in the background, and then, you know, my, my experience at, at Ivy, uh, I did my undergrad there, and didn't really know much about the program, and then when I went back for my MBA, uh, I learned that the leader program had a number of sites in Eastern Europe, and one of them was in uh, Eastern Ukraine, in uh a, large city called Dnipropetrovsk which is about the same size as Calgary and so I I volunteered for that and I said you know I I can speak the language um, maybe not as obviously as well as I wish but well enough and I don't I didn't really need to because the class was in English but we ended up going over there there were four of us in total we taught a business course for two weeks uh, with you know through the case method teaching university students there uh a a number of concepts and you know business principles uh from you know the western perspective and um you know created some friendships that have lasted till today and and um, now you know over the last year and a half i've been able to communicate with some of my former students and make sure that they're okay Uh, many have relocated um, some before the invasion, some because of it, but some are, and most are still there in place. And uh, one classmate in particular, you know, she has a family now and she has a little girl. I have two little girls, and so she has sent over a gift for my girls, and I sent over a gift for you know her daughter. And you know that a kind of connection, thanks to um, you know, social media and being able to easily message people. Number one, it's you know been a been. A lot easier to maintain that that relationship, and number two, it gives me kind of the peace of mind of knowing that you know there's some people there I, I care about that are safe and their families are safe, and um, they're trying to go about life as normally as possible. But it was nice to be able to combine you know my business education and my heritage in that way, you know to to lead the team over there, and you know since then maintain that uh, you know part of my network, and and not really network. Uh, that sounds little bit shallow but you know my true kind of care uh, for some of these people and and especially you know these are humans and and you just want to make sure people are safe and uh, you, you also you want to help in some way so it's better than just you know making a donation to the Red Cross you know if you can directly let people know that you're thinking about them that you care about them and send over some care packages and you know just just help at least one family know that there's people around halfway around the world that are rooting for them. And, and, you know, uh, there's figure out what the number is, you know, hundreds of Ukrainians a day coming over into Alberta. Uh, it's just one of many places in Canada, but if, if, you know, one by one, we're all doing something to kind of make life seem a little bit better for people who are caught in a really, uh, horrible situation, you know then then I think that 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 matters that that's a good thing so I you know I owe that to the business school and to my parents uh, for you know making sure that that was a priority growing up and um, now as as a dad you know with two girls it's gonna be my job to uh, make sure they understand kinda you know their roots and, and what's important in, in life about helping people who are worse off and uh, you know, uh, I always wish I could do more, everybody does, but it's better than better than nothing, for sure. And, and it's a special connection. I really look forward to the day where I can uh, take my family over there and show them around. And, and uh, you know, it's it's quite an electric feeling to have that, you know, uh, experience of the first time going over to, uh, you know, feel your, your heritage uh, in person. Uh, it, it's really neat.
0: That's such a Canadian thing, too. You, you, you know, within the last say two hundred years, almost any Caucasian has come from somewhere, primarily in Europe. You know, my family heritage, mom's side, Russian, Dukabor, settled in interior British Columbia, on the eastern Canada side. On my dad's side, Irish. Within within the last two hundred years, and it's interesting as Canadians, because like when we say we're from Canada or I am Canadian you know, it carries a certain pride and there's certain values, but ultimately like that, that's what makes us Canadian is that it's so multicultural. We're so diverse within, a, like I say, 200 years, most family lineages ends that they're not born on Canadian soil. Yeah, that's
1: right. And, you know, it's important to remember that and, and be humble about being Canadian because, uh, you know, yeah, I d- we definitely weren't here first, as far as you know, my family tree goes, um, and I think it's very important to respect the First Nations and the treaties, and you know, interact with them, uh, you know, on a regular basis. You know, I really like the idea of trying to volunteer support, uh, you know, in Calgary. Um, you know, I intend on teaching my, my daughters the same thing. And uh, growing up in, in Toronto, you know, I really didn't have that kind of exposure. It's just different. Um, in Western Canada, I think there's more uh, interaction, there's more opportunity, there's just, you know, the, the population is the mix is different. And so uh, I'm grateful for relocating to Calgary in, you know, 22 years ago and, and learning more about that. Cause I feel actually that, you know, people in Southern Ontario are missing that, that element, you know, on the average. And so, yeah, I mean, your statement is factually correct. You know, 99% of Canadians can't have a, a family tree that goes back more than 200 years, you know, in, in this place and so to respect what was here before that and who was here before that is very important Uh, and you know to embrace that cultural richness you know there's our differences are fascinating and we can learn from each other and i really like how the the stampede for example it's a core element of, of that experience you know when people come and visit from out of town and you know are on the grounds and you know they they can uh, you know, get exposure to both the Western, the agricultural, you know, traditions, but also, you know, the First Nations and their, their traditions, you know, that, that I think is a, a very special annual event in Canada. Um, so, you know, I, I hope it continues to be a big success and, you know, there's, there's going to be ups and downs along the way for any, uh, anything like that, but I think we're all heading in the right direction.
0: Mm-hmm. And on that idea of headed in the right direction, um, you know, all these things are sort of converging right now. We have artificial intelligence and uh, the decentralization of, of information and people's ability to do their own independent research and, um, you know, not just the financial aspect if you're running a business, but for, for families and their own um, kind of piece. What's your sort of perspective around people uh, taking control of their, um, you know, their own economic destiny? I think that's a good question, and it's it's funny, you know. We we think of
1: that from from our own personal standpoint, thinking back to okay, when I was in high school, and the internet was just coming out, and then you know, university that there's leaps and bounds that happen in a short period of time, and the amount of information we have now in our pocket through our smartphones is, you know, the, there's more computing power in our pocket than there was to put the, you know man on the moon originally Uh, so they say
0: if that even happened right (laughs) I
1: have I as somebody who believes that happened then that's just my analogy but uh, the point is the amount of information we have now at our disposal is you know infinitely greater than it was for the generation like our parents generation and our grandparents generation and so for the next generations, you know, from my, my daughters is AI just going to do everything. And and it's all going to be about relationships and tasks will be mostly automated. And, and, you know, or or is there still going to be, you know, a lot of like, I mean, I'd like to think of it from a schooling perspective. Okay. So, you know, what is needed? What, what, what do you need to learn? You know, long division, Probably not needed. Uh, we all learned it, but haven't used it since grade school, right? Kind of example, uh, because there's robots for that now. And, uh, and same with, with like, you know, history and science, you know, all of that foundation, of course, is important, but in practicality of, you know, making contributions to the world as an adult, be it in a commercial sense or, you know, from a medical perspective or, you know, teaching or, whatever your you know children's chosen path is i think it's going to be really neat and potentially scary or or, uh bewildering to see what that looks like 25 50 years from now and so i think ai is amazing it's a tool um, but it's unbelievable tool i think some people are using ai um the the label of AI in inappropriate ways, but at the end of like real AI is tremendously uh, powerful and and in IR, investor relations, for example, you know that you have to be careful. You can't put confidential things into the public domain. So I think bespoke AIs and ring fenced, you know, data sets. I think that's definitely going to be part of the near future. Uh, to give companies that comfort. But there are things that I've been able to do in 60 seconds that used to take me two hours. Um, I don't use it a lot, but uh, there are situations where I've played with it and have been impressed with the near instant results. And so if that's just one example of an infinite number of applications and my work and your work and, and the work of people outside of this conversation and room, Um, You know, that's, you know, you can take the global economy and and, uh, standard of living to the next level with tools like that, um, you know, for the efficiencies that that can unlock. And from an information perspective, you know, the decentralization of a lot of information and, you know, knowledge is power, all that uh, stuff yeah people now have everything at their fingertips you know financial information that was usually you know kind of kept in in office drawers of you know portfolio managers and things like that when I was a kid growing up that is now you know very easy to access and people can have much better um, uh, much better feeling about uh, and and control of their financial destiny now because the tools are so readily available um, you know you still have to wake up every day work hard you know either go work for someone else and do a good job at that fulfill your you know duties you know in exchange for the salary that you receive or as an entrepreneur wake up work hard hustle build a business create jobs you know land contracts sell products or services you still have to do that but the administration of those tasks and of those you know, uh, duties, if that's becoming more efficient and if your customers or your shareholders or your stakeholders or your partners now have more information to get uh, comfortable with what we offer as entrepreneurs or business owners or, you know, as, as companies selling products or services or as employers, uh, you know, that speeds things up fundamentally. So uh, it's, it's wild, but also there can be too much information you can have paralysis by analysis there's things that can really hold you up and you can feel like you don't have enough information ever to make the perfect decision but nobody ever had enough had the perfect information set there's no such thing as a perfect decision um, so i think we're, we're better off it can be intimidating but definitely i would prefer to have this than what we had you know a generation ago
0: 100 mm, percent. yeah these tools can really from, from uh, my experience, uh, bend time You know, in specific contexts. If you use them in a very specific thing, you can, you can um, move at a greater velocity. I read this article recently and they were describing a case to be made that the bell curve for the AI integration into business is so dramatic, like tidal wave dramatic, that companies need to be proactive in integrating what they were calling a CAIO the same way that you'd have a chief executive officer and a chief financial officer, that the artificial intelligence uh, technology is going to have such a dramatic impact on business that you need someone in the C-suite who's actually just looking out for what's this company's AI strategy. What are your thoughts from a C-suite leadership perspective on some of the types of things that those people should be thinking about and integrating into their portfolio? I mean, AI is definitely... Uh, at the intersection of,
1: um, you know, where a, a CTO and a, like a chief technology officer and a chief legal officer and a chief executive officer kind of all would meet. I think that, um, you know, legal because of confidentiality reasons. I mean, there's a story out there, I can't remember who it was. Um, Nokia, maybe, or Nvidia, something like that, where they had them their coders put code, confidential code, into um, ChatGPT or something like that to and uh, to ask it if there was a better way to code something, and they inadvertently put something proprietary in the public domain, and this was, I think, you know, a year ago or kind of quote-unquote early in the early days of, you know, ChatGPT, but that's a that's a big mistake you know because then you have the opposite force of people exploiting uh, the misunderstanding of how this works and then mining AI for those inputs those inadvertent uh, disclosures those accidental revelations of you know valuable information and I'm sure there's hedge funds and private equity firms that are you know using code to try and pick up on those mistakes and then, you know, use them as an advantage uh, for their portfolios. But, uh, you know, in IR, for example, I think that, you know, whether it's a CAIO or a CTO or just something, it depends on the size of the company, right? So a lot of officer teams just aren't that big. But yes, acknowledging the, the importance of AI and the opportunity of it having potentially an AI policy for the company. So that employees understand what's the appropriate way to use it and what's not an appropriate way to use it. Or if uh, AI is gonna be incorporated into a business from one way or another, making sure that how it's being used and, and you know what's being put into it um, doesn't put the company offside in some way with its contracts or with its IP. And so from an IR perspective, I think there's a great opportunity to have, you know, bespoke IR chat bots in a way where, you know, a lot of time in IR is spent responding to investor messages, re- returning voicemails and replying to emails. A lot of investors are thinking about making an investment, they have a bunch of questions. And so they send those in or they're, they're an existing shareholder. And they want to know why financial performance did Something versus something else, or you know, they don't understand a news release, or they want to ask more in depth questions about a certain thing. And a lot of the answers to those questions are in the public domain. And they, the answers are on the company websites, they're in their financial statements, they're on CDAR and their regulatory filings. So if you had an AI tool where you, you input, you, know, you uploaded all of that information, or you had it scrape, you know. The website Cedar a few key places on a continuous basis and was able in a conversational manner to respond to somebody's you know text based questions you know instantly and and factually that would lighten the load of a lot of IROs and allow them to focus on more strategic things and, and you know on more you know higher value relationships um, you know it's, it's the same. 10 20 minutes responding to a retail shareholder who might own 500 dollars of shares than it is responding to an institutional investor that might own 5 million of shares so obviously one of those is you know more significant than the others for the same amount of time you know maybe required to respond to you know each of those those parties but um, you know if if there was like a an IR uh, chat bot that was, you know, AI driven, and there will be, I, I'm certain of it, uh, that will provide better communication and faster communication to the people who are asking who want the information and free up, you know, IROs to be more strategic in the development and execution of their IR programs, you know, for the public issuers for their, their companies. So um, I think, you know, AI in the C-suite, for sure, in public companies, is you know, now a time is now kind of thing, uh, whether they're called CAIOs or, or not, if it falls under CTO or chief legal or you know, some other person. I agree with you. I think that policies are being put in place. You know, the, the rush to incorporate that technology is upon us, and I'm curious about um, you know, positioning Meadowbank to you know offer m- more of that from a you know strategic consulting perspective we're helping you know both public and private companies understand the opportunity to improve engagement and, and communication you know with their stakeholders with you know ai on board
0: yeah from a, <clears throat> from a purely business model perspective that is interesting but as from a software tool perspective that you would build something like that, that tool like that, and then license it monthly subscription model to to private companies. And someone's probably working on that. But if you've got the, you know, if Meadow has the expertise, and then you know we f- find some programmers, like what a what a great product to to beta test or to to be the one actually delivering that. Where like I see a really also synergistic fit between Meadow and Business on Cameras. We're looking at how those same tools optimized on the on the marketing side and the external comms with with chat gpt for the writing and copywriting articles blogs that type of stuff but also now graphic design video editing um, you know we have a video that we're working on currently where we got a sort of Keanu Reeves sounding voice um, and and just all of these things are, are are now available. That if a company, you know, the overhead of you've got say twenty marketing and communications staff, mm-hmm. you you probably dice that in half. If you have someone, an AI person that can come in and show how all those tools can replace human beings, right. which like for the BOC for the business on Cameron Meadow, kind of like we don't want a, people to be losing their jobs. Um, I just think that. Um, there's some cost savings and efficiency uh, efficiencies that can be increased. And in the you know you were describing the a uh, uh, well trained, well educated chat bot around the company's financial position and, and all that kind of piece. Um, so yeah, I mean, kind of as we we get close to wrap here, like what do you what from your perspective, what do you see as a maybe synergistic fit on what BOC and Meadow could do together.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had uh, an interesting chat, you know, um, leading up to this recording about, you know, potentially sharing resources for, you know, social media, for example, or um, combining our pitches, you know, uh, and because what, you know, BOC does and what Meadowbank does are, are we don't compete with each other, but we're adjacent to one another and, you know, we're both from a, we come from a communications, background. That's our expertise. It's just the, the audience is potentially uh, different or, or connected. Um, but you know, one in one could equal three in that way. And, you know, I have an employee, but I wish I had five and you have x employees, and you probably wish you had three x. And if AI can help us feel like, you know, we have more resources, or we're getting you know more out of a day, or a week or a month because we're working smarter not harder and somebody goes on you know there's an ai for that dot com and and figures out you know the ever-growing list and the best tools for ir and the best tools for marketing and and really knows how to you know flex those muscles and and use the best ones to get the best outputs then that's just going to show better for you know business on camera and for meadowbank and you know if we you know are able to land clients jointly and and keep them happy and uh you know work together in that way and or separately but it's because you know we have a good understanding of the best tools and how to uh prompt them in the best way you know there's over a thousand ai tools on you know there's an ai for that.com already and so that's the name of the game is you know the education the awareness around the landscape about which tools can really you know produce the best uh outputs you know and understanding the prompts and there's even you know apis for prompts now and and it's a whole world exploding in the, in this arena um, and if we can bring that to our local business environment or you know to our portfolio of, of know current clients and potential you know warm leads and cold outreach and, and add that to our, our arsenal then it just makes you a better it improves your service offering it makes you better at keeping clients satisfied and and being having a unique offering having you know a competitive advantage uh, you know continuing to innovate and evolve that's that's an important part of waking up every day and, and building a business, you know, you can't, uh, can't ever, or it's not wise to ever get too comfortable. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that this, that last kind of touch point is the, it's one thing to acquire a client, but it's another to keep them. And you had uh, something around good service and good faith or, or, or you had a, an approach that you take to uh, nurturing those clients once they're in your portfolio. What's that approach look like? Yeah. I mean, one of our core
1: principles on the meadowbank website is just i believe in old-fashioned good service you know it's you can have all these technological tools and and but if somebody doesn't feel like you're you're taking care of them and that you're you care and that you're not you know just sending them an invoice every know month or week or you know quarter whatever it is and then waiting for that to come in and and not really earning that then you're not going to get renewals you're not going to get more referrals you know the word of mouth won't travel so that's a and that's a daily principle that's something that you know I will never take for granted because that's what I like from you know, as a customer, as, as a purchaser of goods and services, I appreciate good service. We all love going to a restaurant and having terrific service and then, you know, raving about it to our friends. And, and it's the same thing when you're in the consulting business, when you have clients, you know, you, you it's important to remember that good service matters and it's rare. R- really good service is rare. It's not hard to make... You know a good impression and you know people are always looking to save money so if they're trimming budgets you want to make sure you're you're on the good side of that not on the bad side and I think that old-fashioned good service you know communicating regularly you know being careful um, treating people like you want to be treated you know clients customers vendors you know all of that matters it's you know a lot of us in the businesses that we're building, some of us do things that are proprietary and completely unique and are inventors, but most of us are not inventors. We're not doing something that somebody else can't copy. So at the end of the day, all you have is your reputation. All you have is, you know, that standard. And, and, you know, that's what keeps, you know, business coming. That's what gets invoices paid. And, and, you know, that's what something I think is is, uh, never... Guaranteed. You have to earn that every
0: day. Yeah. What a fantastic place to, to wrap our conversation. You know, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And maybe lastly, can you just let people know where to find you and your company?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, www.metalbank.com without any vowels, so mdwbnk.com. And uh, same, sort of, Meadowbank IR on Twitter, and uh, I have a full profile on LinkedIn as well um you know we'll be bolstering our social media activity here shortly and you know you can email me nick at mdwbnk.com anytime and uh, appreciate you having me on and, and time flies when you're having fun uh hopefully that was uh you know good and and audience finds you know some tidbits in in our chat here but i appreciate you asking about uh you know the the leader project thing and and about the business as well and uh, yeah I look forward to seeing what we can do together on the business front you know outside of this uh, recording
0: yeah you got it thanks again man
1: cool